It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me, or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. A Virginia woman died shortly after getting Pfizer's coronavirus vaccine. 58-year-old Drenee Keyes was from Gloucester, Virginia. She got the first dose on Saturday and was observed by healthcare workers for 15 minutes as is standard protocol. Soon after, though, officials say she started feeling sick. The co-worker said that she was trying to get in a car and she said something's not right. Her death is now being investigated by state and federal agencies, as well as local health officials there in Gloucester. They say, though, there's no evidence that he's died due to an allergic reaction to the vaccine. All right, so that's Fox 5 in Virginia, and uh, that's just a continuation of really, uh, I think, one of the biggest stories of the last few weeks, the story that no one wants to talk about. And that is while everyone is rushing to get the vaccine, my neighbors, your neighbors, maybe even you yourself think that somehow if I get that vaccine, then I can go out. I can stop wearing this mask. I can be with my friends. I can visit my family. I can see my mom in the nursing home. I can fill in the blanks. Well, let me just make it really clear that that's just not true. And if you don't believe me, listen to the White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki. Uh, what we're also trying to do is make our health and medical experts available to ensure people understand, and I'll reiterate it here today, it's not just a vaccine, it's obviously a, an incredible medical breakthrough, um, and we want every American to have one. But even after you're vaccinated, uh, social distancing, wearing masks are going to be essential, and we'll, we'll, we'll need to continue communicating about that through health and medical experts. All right, so I have more things to tell you about that vaccine today, and I'm going to do it uh, in this first segment only because coming up in the, in the last two segments of the show, you're in for an absolute treat. It will be a relief from all the bad news. It will be good news. It will be a wonderful story from my good friend, the actor, director, theater owner, uh, Max McLean. So you don't want to miss that because he's got some great things to tell you. But I, I have to warn you, that is my job. That's my job. And the more I hear about this vaccine, the more upset and worried I get. And so that's why I have to tell you what it is that's coming my way about this virus. All right, so not only did the woman in Virginia die, we've been there have been other people that have been dying. I've told you stories as we've gone along, and I just really haven't commented too much because I wasn't sure what to say. I think people, just older people, die. Little things can, uh, can, can trigger death in them, even a bad cold. And so I didn't want to jump to any conclusion because heaven knows if there was a vaccine that would get us back to normal life, I would be in favor of that if I thought we could trust it. But I want to tell you this so far, 501 deaths have resulted from the vaccine, and that was as of January the 29th. Now, that's, that's a while. This is almost three weeks after this. 500 deaths so far and 156 permanent disabilities. And we, I, I got a report earlier this week that there is a blood disorder that has been reported in at least 36 people as of this date, which was 
uh, probably, uh, I'd say maybe early this week. At least 36 people may have developed a rare blood disorder, and it's a disorder. I'm not going to go into the technical because I because, uh, but basically it stops your blood. The disorder keeps your blood from clotting. It's very dangerous. And I'll read one story to you. One of the individuals affected by the condition was Dr. Gregory Smith, 56-year-old obstetrician from Miami Beach, whose symptoms appeared three days after he received the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine December the 18th. Smith's wife, Heidi, disclosed in a Facebook post that he entered the emergency room with a platelet count of zero, and he was immediately admitted to the intensive care unit with a diagnosis of acute ITP caused by a reaction to the COVID vaccine. Immune thrombocytopenia is usually treated by platelet transfusions and other things, but Neckelman, that's the wife, said the treatments failed to restore her husband's platelet levels, and after two weeks in the hospital, he died from a brain hemorrhage. She says he was a very healthy 56-year-old, loved by everyone in the community, delivered hundreds of healthy babies, and worked tireless through the pandemic. He was a pro-vaccine advocate, and that's why he got it himself. I believe people should be aware that side effects can happen, that it is not good for everyone, and in this case destroyed a beautiful life, a perfect family, and has affected so many people in the community. Do not let his death be in vain. Please save more lives by making this information news. All right, one of the reasons that you may not be hearing these things uh, about these people dying, the first one in Virginia, and then uh, now this man in Miami and other, other stories that I brought you in the last few weeks, uh, it could be because of uh, something that Tucker Carlson delivered very well and very clearly early this week. Let's listen. And search for the word vaccine on Facebook and you will find a lot of material, exclusively material, that matches precisely the storyline approved by Melinda Gates and her fellow non-scientist billionaires. And the line is clear. You've heard it a million times. The COVID vaccine is morally good, period. Don't dare say anything else. So if your neighbor drops dead after getting the shot, keep it to yourself. Facts like that are not allowed on Facebook, nor on Twitter. They've got the same policy. All right, and he goes on to talk about how they have, they've just removed any, uh, any negative stories about the vaccine. In fact, I would just tell you a personal story. I know that in Israel, they have, their vaccination program has, has ground to a halt. I know that through Alex Berenson. So I was looking online to try to find something about it. And do you know, I could not when I Googled it. That doesn't mean it's not there. Perhaps if I did, you know, searching to the 10th page, I could find it. But I'm telling you, uh, there's a concerted effort to keep this information from you. So I want to tell you a few other things that I know about this. Um, Cheryl Atkinson did a piece in the Epoch, Epoch Times, and she basically did a study on what's happening in nursing homes because uh, they are, you know, rushing to give elderly people who are the most vulnerable, no question about it, in nursing homes, these vaccines. But the one point I want to make, there are people that are dying in clusters uh, in various uh, nursing homes uh, shortly thereafter, after the vaccine, and I could give you stories. But the point that Cheryl makes is that the vaccine seems to make people then COVID positive. So people who had did not have COVID, because you can't have the vaccine if you're testing positive, tested positive after the vaccine. And this looks to be 100%. And we heard that earlier in the week, uh, at least I, I, when I listened to Simone Gold's recent uh, presentation on this, that's what she said too. So that in itself is frightening. We don't have any uh, proof that the vaccine um, prevents you from having COVID. 
prevents you from getting COVID. That's what's so ironic about this. And so um, I want to go back to, I started describing uh, Simone's, uh, some of the things that she said in her presentation, and I wasn't able to finish, and I just must. Because you're probably wondering, well, what, I don't know what to do. I have a friend whose husband took the first shot and uh, was getting ready to take the second one. And he heard a presentation this week from another one of the frontline doctors and decided not to take the second uh, because of the things that she reported. So I want to tell you some other things that we're learning about this. First of all, to reiterate, you will not get your life back if you get the vaccine. That is not the plan. Uh, the plan is that you get the vaccine. Every one of you, every last one of us must be vaccinated. Uh, you know, we just must be as quickly as possible. Even though the vaccine is still in the experimental stage, the drug companies have absolutely no liability if you should die and leave your family without a breadwinner or if you should die and, um, you know, or you should be maimed or you should not maimed is the wrong word, uh, rendered disabled because or the blood disorder, whatever, there's no coverage for you. There's no backup. If you are a healthy person at any age, if you are a healthy person or you don't have, then I would say also lots of comorbidities. Maybe you have one or two things. You have to think quite carefully. I can't tell you what to do, but I will give you the stats. The chances of survival, if you are COVID positive, among people under age 20 are 99.997%. That's your chance of survival. If you're 20 to 49, your chance of survival if you get COVID test positive is 99.8%. If you are 50 to 69, what is your chance of survival if you test positive with COVID or you get COVID and you have symptoms? Your chance of survival from the ages of 50 to 69 is 99.5%. If you are over 70 and you get COVID and you have symptoms, your chance of survival is 95%. So that's probably why Merck has decided to stop production of the, of the vaccine. In fact, it isn't probably. They said uh, there is... It's better scientifically from their research for you to get the virus and get treated for it. You need to be treated for it. You've got to find doctors that will treat you and get treated than it is to take the vaccine. There's, in their estimation, less risk. That's Merck. Let me go on. I want you to remember how much deception there is in this whole process. And it goes back, do you remember when President Trump started talking about hydroxychloroquine and the frontline doctors came out and talked about how effective it was uh, to treat or to be like a, uh, what is it called, prophylactic, a preventative. Uh, and so the Lancet Journal, then, when President Trump was talking about this and the left started, oh, they started demonizing hydroxychloroquine and saying that it had all kinds of side effects. And we know that hydroxychloroquine has been approved for 60 years. It's given to people in this country from babies to pregnant moms to seniors. It's given for lots of different things. I think lupus is one of those things, and it has been used successfully. It's given all over the world, over-the-counter in some cases. In Africa, it's, uh, they, I think the Africans call it the Saturday pill uh, because it, well, the missionaries gave it to them, started it, uh, to prevent malaria. And so, oh, and guess, guess what continent in the world has been unscathed by COVID? 
It's Africa, the country that takes hydroxy their Saturday pill. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Maybe there's not a correlation, but maybe there is. It's the only continent that hasn't had a COVID outbreak. All right, but I want to go back because uh, talking about deception, the Lancet Journal, which is the you know the the the, the blue ribbon, the gold standard for medical journals. After President Trump started talking about the benefits of hydroxychloroquine and the left started saying that he was lying and that it was, uh, you know, dangerous and they twisted everything and stopped doctors from being able to prescribe it. It's just bizarre. The Lancet came out uh, and had to retract their article because it was a complete fraud, a complete fraud. But you never heard about it because the media did not report that. So glad, gradually, after Joe Biden was elected, hydroxychloroquine is now back in favor. Although I bet some of you, I know where I live, that many of the medical practices won't give you that drug. Oh, no, it's terrible. But it's been great for 60 years, but not so much now. Uh, so remember, again, back to this vaccine, it is an experimental vaccine. It's experimental. It's not proven. And they have tried to develop a vaccine for COVID before. And what they found was, then the former vaccine, the failure, they tested it in animals, uh, was that these animals that were tested de developed antibodies that made them actually more susceptible to viruses. And so that's why they stopped it, and that's why they never used it. Uh, also, there are questions about the effect of this vaccine on fertility. Uh, some doctors, including Simone Gold, says pregnant women should not, or, or, or women who can get pregnant potentially, should not take this vaccine. That's what she says. That's what the frontline doctors say. All right, I'm going to go on with this because, again, there's no evidence that this is effective against COVID. And uh, if you are a perfectly healthy person, you just need to think about it. Just, uh, But now you know what the risks are. And if you're willing to take those risks and if you believe that for some reason that I have not described here, it would really be helpful to you. It would alleviate fear. Uh, then, um, you know, you have to make that judgment. Uh, but remember, it will not change the restrictions on you, and it will not stop COVID. And it does have some very dangerous side effects that we know already. So uh, just think carefully before you do this. All right, coming up next, really, really a treat. It'll be a breath of fresh air. It will be like an infusion in your bloodstream of joy to see what's happening uh, with Max McLean and his theater company and all these great productions that you're going to want to see. All right, so stay tuned. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Have you read Luther's 95 Theses? I read it in German history, as all good Germans do. I thought you were Austrian. Whatever. Anybody called to challenge injustice must ask, can I take the blows? Because they will come. Do you want a session? No. How can you, of all people, sit there and defend him? Is that what I'm doing? And I am so sure of his judgment against me that I have started to hate him. Oh, you don't hate God. I do. You don't. I do. No, we can't do this every day. Don't you see? You're doing exactly what the papers do. Making eternal decisions based on sheer stomachs. I am not suitable for marriage. Because you are a monk? Because I have not made my bed in over a year and I am quite sure it is rotting. <laughs> I give you freedom, but not really. I give you intelligence. But in the end, you don't get to actually know. You just have to have faith. Martin Luther is the Roman Catholic Church's ultimate enemy. 
That would be you, actually. All right, Sandy Rios with you. Well, you're in for a treat because that is a portion of a recent production, an ongoing production of Martin Luther on Trial. It's produced by the Fellowship for Performing Arts, uh, whose founding uh, artistic founder and artistic director is Max McLean. Now, why have you heard that name, Max McLean? Because Max has been, uh, his voice is so incredibly distinctive. It wasn't on that clip, but it, you would have recognized it. Uh, Max probably is known to a lot of you because uh, many years ago, uh, he recorded something that's still wonderful. My husband and I have it. It's called The Listener's Bible. Uh, his creative work, by the way, has been cited with distinction by the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Boston Globe, the Chicago Tribune, Wall Street Journal, and CNN. But um, Max is not only an artist, an actor, he has adapted to stage several of C.S. Lewis's works, uh, along with Martin Luther, like the Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis on stage, The Most Reluctant Convert, The Great Divorce, Genesis, and Mark's Gospel. He actually created the role of Screwtape, which was C.S. Lewis's story about Satan himself. He, re- he created that role in New York. He did a national tour, was in London. He created the C.S. Lewis role in Most Luc- Reluctant Convert, uh, which went on a national tour and was extended for a 15-week run in New York City. Uh, he did. He created the role of Mark, and Mark, <laughs> Mark. Of course, the words are there, but the, but the character wasn't. So, uh, Max created the character for Mark in Mark's Gospel, and he was the storyteller in Genesis. And I could go on and on, but I wanted to give you context. Uh, I first met Max when he was uh, doing the, his one of his early performances in Fellowship uh, for Performing Arts. Actually, it was uh, Screw Tape Letters, and they advertised on my radio show in Chicago, and that's how I had the fortune of our lives intersecting, and I have been uh, just enriched by having Max as a friend. Max, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you, Sandy. Thank you for that introduction. Well, I meant, you know, I mean every word. That was such uh, a—the Chicago experience was wonderful because you you were there for a long time, and uh, I saw your impact. I saw your impact on the audience. I saw the kinds of things— that you were able to do as an actor and as a director and through your theater company. Okay, so in short, how would you describe the goal that you have uh, as the director of Fellowship for the Performing Arts? Sure, sure. Thank you. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to be on your program, Sandy. I know you have such a wide reach, and we we uh, we tour all over the country, so uh, I think a lot of your people perhaps have seen our work. I think our work is more caught than taught, but if you have to explain it, uh, our mission is to tell stories, uh, good stories from a Christian worldview meant to engage uh, a diverse audience. Um, And before the pandemic uh, and the nationwide shutdown, we had four different shows in production, uh, three on tour and one in New York, and we look forward to uh, getting back into production uh, we think will probably happen uh, this fall, and of course, in the meantime, we are doing quite a few, quite a bit of our work online uh, yes. in terms of virtual presentations. Yes, and I want to talk about that, and I want to give people specifics of how they can be part of it and hear what you're doing. But let's give them a little more a taste of just your experiences, Max. You live in New York. Your theater company's mm-hmm. in New York. We can all see what's happening in New York, and so. I'm just wondering, uh, in a word, what's happening in theater in New York City right now? 
Well, uh, New York City is, uh, you know, looks more like Pittsburgh or Cleveland than New York City because the the, the number one industry, uh, I guess, employer in New York City would be the creative economy uh, married to tourism and hospitality. Uh, those three ingredients is what makes New York, New York. Uh, more than healthcare, more than tech, more than finance. Uh, and so all of that has been shut down since March. So uh, the city is simply nothing like uh, what it was prior to March of 2020. You know, I used to, when I worked for Fox, they would fly me to New York pretty often. And I they always put me up in a hotel that overlooked uh, Broadway and the, the theater district mm-hmm. right there. And it was just beautiful. Mm-hmm. My room, I could see all the lights. And I was like, even with that, whatever the marquees were, it was just exciting. Mm-hmm. What does Broadway even look like right now? Well, all the lights are off. Uh, you know, it's, uh, and, and and not only that, Sandy, it's uh, because, I, you know, the, the, the breadth of the creative economy, uh, you know, restaurants are, are shut down, stores are are. You know, they may be open, but there's very little business. Uh, hotels are, are shut down or, or down to, you know, just bare minimum. Uh, so it's just, uh, it's a very quiet city. It's not the city that uh, people remember. Are actors, how in the world are actors and other people in the industry, directors, producers, mm-hmm. people who create the stage, you know, writers, uh, all kinds of professionals, makeup artists, how are they surviving, Max? Well, a lot of them have moved away because New York usually, uh, I mean, the, the, the rents are, uh, are ridiculously high for very small rooms, and, and most people, you know, have other places they can go. They usually come here to work, and if the work is not here, then they leave. Uh, but not only that, I mean, the population of, of uh, Center City, New York, is, has, uh, has uh, quite a few people have left. I mean, beyond the creative economy, I mean, 300,000 to 500,000 people who have the ability to leave, you know, in terms of other places to go, uh, have left. And that's also um, had an impact on, on New York City's uh, tax base. All right, so is live theater happening anywhere in the United States? Um, there are pockets here and there that are heavily restricted. Uh, usually they're outdoors, so obviously in the wintertime you're not having that, but in the summertime there are. There, there's, uh, they're heavily restricted in terms of testing, in terms of masks, in terms of social distancing, uh, which uh, does prohibit unless you're uh, you're, uh, uh, you, you have sort of outside support. Uh, most theater really requires full houses to pay all the bills. Mm-hmm. So uh, if, if you're, uh, I mean, actually, the, the Broadway theaters could open now if they were willing to, you know, go with 20% occupancy. Actually, I'm not even sure if that would be even allowed now with the kind of draconian uh, restrictions that are in place at the moment. Uh, I do anticipate them opening up as the weather gets warmer. But even so, if you're allowed only 20%, the cost of mounting a production uh, requires uh, 
like 70 percent average attendance, which means that you have to have full houses on weekends so that you can run through the week at limited houses. And that's just not possible with the kind of social distancing and attendance restrictions that they're offering at the moment. Wow, this is heart-wrenching. This is heart-wrenching. It really is just one more sector that, honestly, prior to booking you, Max, I wasn't thinking about the theater. I was thinking about everything else, you know. Mm-hmm. What, what was the last production that Fellowship for the Performing Arts did before uh, COVID hit? Yes, well, we had, as I mentioned, we, we had three shows on the road. Uh, we had the great C.S. Lewis, the great divorce, C.S. Lewis, Screw Tape Letters. Uh, we had uh, the most reluctant convert playing at colleges and universities, and then we had a a, uh, a brand new adaptation of John Milton's, a sort of a modernized adaptation of John Milton's Paradise Lost, that was playing in New York and closed. Uh, uh, it closed actually the first week of March, so that would have been the last time we had been uh, opened in New York City. Uh, our tours open. Our tours shut down the second week of March. Yeah, let's go back to uh, you were, and I think you will again, Max. God willing, you were having tremendous impact on college campuses. I, I'm stunned by this. This is one of the re- a mutual friend of ours brought to my attention the impact you had at Berkeley. Berkeley, not mm-hmm. exactly known for you know its evangelical student population, and you guys performed a fellowship for performing arts performed uh, The Most Reluctant Convert. Well, first of all, uh, I just have some questions about that because people won't know what that's about. In fact, I have to ask you if you think that most people even know who C.S. Lewis is now. Oh, I think people do. I mean, uh, you know, he's, uh, uh, I think he has sold close to a quarter of a billion books. And uh, unlike most uh, dead authors, uh, his sales continue to rise. Uh, he would have, you know, this is this is a little bit hyperbolic, but uh, but as a general trend, he would sell more books this year than he sold last last year, and would be expected to sell more books next year than this year. And that is because uh, the uh, the profound way and the unique way. He expresses the Christian faith to uh, a lot of people, particularly uh, artists and intellectuals and academics who often find uh, uh, that the the approaches to Christianity uh, doesn't appeal to them, and so they they dismiss it. And Lewis gets through that in a way that is very compelling. Uh, He is probably the most effective apologist writer uh, evangelist of the 20th century, you know, because he, he's a sort of literary philosopher genius. Uh, and, and he puts all of that genius through the lens of Christianity. I think he has a very famous quote, if I can uh, recall it. Uh, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not only because by it, I, uh, but because by it, I not only do I see it, but by it, I see everything else. Uh, and so the lens of his genius is uh, the death, the, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right. So this play, uh, the Reluctant Convert, mm-hmm. which you, I, 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 the first time I saw it, I think you played C.S. Lewis, uh, mm-hmm. is the story. Yep. 
the story of his athe- of how he was an atheistic scholar in England. He mm-hmm. also did BBC broadcast. Uh, well, that came, came later. But he had a dramatic conversion, and this is, well, not so dramatic. It was a lengthy, long-term struggle. He did not want to become a Christian, and it's the story of that. So how in the world do you take a play like that to Berkeley? Mm-hmm. Not only Berkeley, I mean, uh, Princeton, Brown, Columbia, Penn, Duke, UNC, Charlotte. Uh, our last production before the pandemic of this show was at uh, Khan Auditorium at uh, Northwestern University, packed with 1,200 students. Uh, at Berkeley, we had about 1,600 uh, students, faculty, and other people that were invited. Um, I believe that's part of Lewis's appeal, that he is better known than we than we know. And the fact that, that he expresses uh, his faith journey in such... Uh, uh, transparent ways, uh, both intellectually and emotionally, uh, is very, very appealing to people. And, and the fact that he did it during his college years also is very, uh, 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 you know, reaches people and touches people, particularly those people in college. But I would think, Max, that the powers that be at Berkeley and Northwestern also, and some of the, and Princeton may be more liberal, I don't, liberal in terms of open to more ideas. Uh, I would think the powers that be, though, and some of those other universities like Berkeley would say, no, we're not having that on our campus. I don't, I well, mean, when, that, when you're, so many speakers are being yeah. shut down and heckled. And so how in the world did that happen, you think? Yeah, I think that uh, theater gives you a bit more wiggle room to do that because it's it's uh, promoted as a theatrical event, even though the title is the most reluctant convert, so we're not hiding that. And if you read it, you know, read below, it tells you how this person, you know, what it's about, a uh, person that went from vigorous to bunker to the most reluctant convert in all of England. So uh, all of that is spelled out, but because of it's a theatrical event, and quite frankly, there's very few theatrical events uh being done anymore. Uh, they're just too complicated, too complex uh, to do. And so, you know, we, we bring it all in soup to nuts. Yeah. And, uh, and in this case, uh, at, at specifically at Berkeley, what, what got us in is uh, we worked through uh, a, a student senator who okay. there, are, uh, there are 20 student senators for the 40,000 students Max, uh, I'm going to have to interrupt you. I'm going to have to interrupt because the music is playing. Uh, But we're going to come back and actually finish up on that. I also want to talk about what's coming up online that people can watch, which is uh, Shadowlands, February 20th through the 24th. And the uh, website, by the way, is fpatheater.com. fpatheater.com. My guest is Max McLean, and we'll be right back with more discussion with him right after this. Sandy Rios in the morning. First, I found this through a Facebook event. I was really surprised that this play was coming here on UC Berkeley campus, like a school university campus, not in another playhouse or anything. Very accessible to all the students on the campus. Also thankful for the discount for the students. <laughs> Overall performance, the actor was amazing. The play was wonderful and it was very informational like about C.S. Lewis's life and his thought process and his journey from atheism to Christianity. I really like the show. It 
is something very different than what Berkeley usually has. I'm a theater major here, and the topics are always very secular for the most part. So seeing this, I was kind of surprised, but like super excited. I really liked it. It really relates to me and where I'm at. I just had a conversation the other day with an atheist. So being here today and like watching someone do theater about that topic here at Berkeley where I'm like surrounded by people who are like, you're a Christian, but you're doing theater. Um, it was really inspirational. I, I think tonight went wonderfully. It was a dream come true to have an artistic expression of a narrative that discusses deep questions of life rather than having some sort of argument. To whichever conclusion I, is so effective to get people to think and have conversations for themselves. Tonight was absolutely amazing. I know that all of us were like, okay, are we gonna even fill this auditorium halfway? And then seeing like the ticket sales come in and the numbers. I guess like it just speaks to the need and the desire among students to, you know, see wholesome entertainment and more importantly entertainment that is thought provoking, especially for the big questions of life that, you know, we wrestle with but don't always have a venue to discuss so wholesomely. At the end of the day, it's about the hearts and minds of students and the hearts and minds of like, audience members that came in tonight. It's about I guess like even serving this campus in a way that we may not see in the physical realm. Yeah. All right, those were testimonies from students at UC Berkeley uh, right after the performance of The Most Reluctant Convert, which is the story of the conversion of C.S. Lewis, who is, you know, the, the writer of um, uh, the, C the, the um, Chronicles of Narnia uh, and so many other wonderful books, The Great Divorce, and on and on and on we could say. Uh, and well-known throughout the world, Max just described to us how he's become more popular every year because of his writings, even though he's dead. So Max McLean is the founder of a Fellowship for, for Performing Arts, and I have to say that when I hear that clip, Max, the thing that hits me is that God is at work. I, I deal with really bad stuff almost every day, and I do see God's hand in the most unexpected ways. And I think that God is using your theater company and you too, Max, you, because you're it's your baby, uh, to reach students in these in the universities. I think it's stunning. And before you comment, I want to make sure I tell people that there was an upcoming performance that's available for any of you to see. It is Shadowlands. You may remember that's a different part of a biography of C.S. Lewis's life when he lost his wife, Joy. It's a powerful, made it, made it into a movie, and now uh, Max has adapted it for stage. And they will be doing a premiere February 20th to the 23rd, which you can watch, but you have to register. So you need to go to fpatheater.com, fpatheater.com, so that you can register to see that. Okay, Max, I said a bunch of things, and I want to give you a chance to respond. Yeah, well, I think what uh, before the break I was commenting on how we got into Berkeley, and, and it was primarily through a student senator, and uh, the last person that spoke on, on the interview that you just played was that student senator. And what's interesting is that uh, there are 20 student senators representing 40,000 students at Berkeley, and they have immense authority, these, these uh, 20, like they can hire the, uh, or they can sign a contract so that we can be in con uh, communication with uh, Zellerbach Hall, which is the largest performing arts venue on the UC uh, Berkeley campus. 
and our people could talk to their people, set up the ticketing, set up the staging, uh, the load-in, load-out, all of that, which is very complex. A student has the ability to make that handshake. Uh, and what was interesting is that uh, of the 20 students that were elected by the 40,000 uh, student body, uh, her, this this student, Isabella, uh, had uh, had the second highest vote, vote total, and she was running on what was essentially a Christian platform. So uh, I just I say all that because uh, you know maybe UC you know UC Berkeley may not be as post Christian as one would think. Wow. Well, I, that's just very, I don't know what to say, Max, except I, I think of China. I think of, you know, we thought for years that China was dead to the gospel. They were shut yeah. away, and we didn't hear anything for them from decades. And when they finally opened up, there were millions of Christians who had grown mm-hmm. in that dark place. And so uh, I mm-hmm. suppose it's the same but different. God does his best work uh, when we are feeling desperate, I think. Well, let's let's tr- let's morph into this next production because Shadowlands, of course, yeah. I already mentioned. I set it up a little bit, but um, let me ask: Did you develop the script for this? Uh, yeah, well, for Shadowlands? actually, uh, no. Uh, uh, it was originally produced for the BBC by a very dear friend of ours, Norman Stone, uh, a Christian man who worked at the BBC. He's done forty or he's done a hundred films in his forty-year career. Uh, he also is directing FDA's first film, which we're doing a film version of Most Reluctant Convert, which you just finished uh, filming in Oxford in September and October. Uh, we had 20 locations, uh, 15 uh, actors, 190 extras, 270 wow. costumes. It was a pretty big production, and we look forward to promoting that film when it's released sometime later this year. So we'll be back in touch about that. Okay. Um but uh, Shadowlands was produced for the BBC, and then it became by Norman Stone. He, uh, he and William Nicholson wrote the uh, screen, uh, the, the teleplay that became a Broadway play, and then it became, as you mentioned earlier, uh, an Oscar-winning film starring Anthony Hopkins and Deborah Winger. What FPA did is we, we produced the first New York revival of the play about three years ago. And, uh, and so to give you a taste of what to expect, uh, and maybe to whet your audience's appetite about the story, you know, Shadowlands begins with C.S. Lewis as this middle-aged bachelor. He's he's internationally known as a great defender of Christianity as well as the Narnia books. Uh, then Joy, a brash, divorced New York Jew, former communist, much younger than him, single mom, and a recent Christian convert burst into Lewis's sedate academic world in Oxford. And then Lewis is shocked to discover that this late in, late in life, he's fallen in love with a much younger woman. And this is a true story, by the way. Uh, but then he must face the pain of losing this love that almost had passed by because he'd never really had a romantic relationship as far as we know if it was it was not you know for like 30 years uh and he's about ready to lose it because she uh she's diagnosed with terminal cancer and so lewis is so crushed that it threatens his relationship with with god uh the play is uh is very smart it it's it's got a lot of humor in it poignant and uh uh deeply uh, moving account of, of 
of late in life love between people who on the surface are are just polar opposites. Uh, it's based on uh, on Lewis's book A Grief Observed, uh, which uh, has been a very powerful book for for many of Lewis readers. Wow. Yeah, you remind me. I swear, I know the story, but you make me you make me really compelled to watch this again. And let me just say, practically speaking, all of you can watch this Shadowlands. It will be a premiere event. For wow, that's amazing. This is the premiere event. It will be any time. I think it's any time, right? Any time you log on, and in the it's not a certain day, day, uh, certain hour or anything, right? Well, it um, on February twentieth, it will be it will premiere at four p.m. Okay. Anybody can watch it from uh, February 24 p.m. till midnight, February 23rd, and I think it's midnight Pacific time. Okay. It's 4 o'clock Eastern, midnight, but I think that's what it is. I'll confirm that. Well, the, when they go to fpatheater.com, I'm sure they can figure that out, fpatheater.com, mm-hmm. and you're looking for the premiere of Shadowlands beginning on February the 20th. And uh, I have a feeling that— Right. What uh, you do— uh, Yeah, what you do, ahead. Sandy, is you— you go to fpatheater.com to register, and okay. then you'll be forwarded uh, reminder emails of when the date comes up. Okay. All right. Max, um, you know, because I've been in um, communications, I, I, I've been on stage as a singer and on stage as a speaker. I'm not an actress. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I then, uh, my, I was also a conductor, a musical conductor, a performer. Uh, I, I've done a lot of things, radio, television. But what I found... Um, and you will relate to this, but every single medium, even though you may have the gift of communication, which I think that's what God gave me, but it's a very different medium. I, I have to get, I have to learn the skills of every, every, I've had to learn different skills for all of those different formats. And so I'm wondering, you know, you've done stuff on stage. That's what you were doing all these years. How did you guys have to adapt? Was this like making a movie or what kind of, just quickly, oh, some yeah. practical differences? Well, virtual events is, it's not quite like making a movie because that's, uh, it, it's, uh, it's many, it's, you, 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 you we, we usually have a, a back, background screen. It's, it's, again, it's more caught than taught. It's probably a little bit more like reader's theater, but the, the actors are interacting. It's much more intimate than theater, the, the medium of online virtual productions of theater. Uh, but it's not, you know, making a film, you usually have to go on locations and uh, it's tremendous uh, 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 involvement in that. This is not quite that involved, but it's, it's a, uh, it, it is a, 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 a wonderful way to tell a story. We've done three of them so far. We've done uh, The Great Divorce, Martin Luther on Trial, then we did a, a fun Christmas show. We had a lot of singers and, and readings, and then we're going to do a, an Easter show soon, similar to that. Uh, that'll probably not be as kind of, it won't be quote-unquote fun. It'll be much more serious. Uh, and what I've been really pleased about is we've had almost 200,000 people uh, uh, watch our online events wow. within the, oh. the, the few within the few days that the unions allow us to to do them uh that's one of the reasons it's a four-day limit because the unions only allow us okay. to uh, uh to do it for four days okay i will have one last question that i want to get in before we run out of time and let me just say again it's fpatheater.com to register for shadowlands fp 
theater.com. So I want to encourage each and every one of you to do that. Max, uh, we've had conversations about this before, but I always love hearing, and this can be only a short answer. Your work includes a lot of people that are not followers of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And uh, the that's impact true. on them, actors, uh, you know, all, you don't, that's not a litmus test for the people that work for you. And then you've that's seen right. lives changed. Say a word about that. Well, it does happen. It's, it's more anecdotal than, you know, fill out a commitment card, but it's conversations that, that have happened as a result. But we hire actors who, on their ability to do the roles that they're cast in. And and on several occasions, that has had a huge impact in their lives. Uh, uh, the actor that played uh, Martin Luther and Martin Luther on trial uh, had a huge uh, religious experience, wants to go to seminary. Uh, our executive producer and director of, uh, of uh, uh, Most Reluctant Convert has had a, a very profound uh, change of faith from a... Uh, ben- as a result of that, uh, our literary manager came out of just being hired for great divorce. Uh, and then not, that's not to mention just the audience. Those are people that we work with and the audiences have had really profound experiences, uh, dealing with, uh, screw tape, most reluctant convert, great divorce that, uh, we're very, very excited about, uh, because, you know, it's, I would say it's probably more, uh, pre-evangelism, you know, and, uh, than, than, straight evangelism, but I think that's becoming much, much more important these days. We can't assume that people know what we're talking about when we're presenting the gospel in the ways maybe a generation ago we were. So in so many ways, Fellowship for the Performing Arts is having an effect for the gospel, and yet they are firmly planted in New York City, highly respected by actors and people in the industry there. Uh, and it's a, it's a miracle that I know that was your heart's desire, Max, many years ago, and I think you've really accomplished it. And I, I'm, I stand in awe and, and just thanking God for what he's done because heaven knows we need a bright spot in this dark world right now. It's uh, If you want to uh, uh, attend Shadowlands or watch it, go to fpatheater.com, fpatheater, T-H-E-A-T-R-E.com. And, uh, and register so that you can watch it. Max McLean, a national treasure, thank you for joining us today. We'll talk again soon. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.